your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis. We want to study tonight about Abraham and Lot. Uh, we want to take a look at their lives and take a look some of the, about some of the decisions that they made and some of the outcomes or consequences of those decisions. So turning your Bibles to um, Genesis chapter 13, sometimes we sing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. But the minute that we begin to follow Jesus, God brings tests into our lives. No question about it. And the test always has the same essence and the same principles behind it. The question is, are we going to follow God's way or are we going to follow our way? That's the basic bottom line. Are we going to make a decision based on faith or simply a decision based on sight? Are we going to do what is right or are we going to do what's convenient or expedient for us? That's always the question when God tests us. So we, we see over in Genesis chapter 12, but we're going to be actually looking at 13. But in Genesis chapter 12, God allowed Abraham to go into Egypt. And what happened in Egypt? He lied. He failed to test. And actually, he was run out of Egypt by Pharaoh and himself. I don't think there's anything as tragic as when pagans discover unethical, ungodly behavior in the lives of people who are supposedly following God. Abraham, at this point, lost his testimony in Egypt. And he also lost his altar in Egypt. But he comes back. In Genesis chapter 13, um, the Bible shows us how he was restored to God despite his sin. So in verse 2 of chapter 13, let's take a look at that. It says, Now Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. And he journeyed from the Negev. And when you see that word, it literally just means south. Probably lots of desert there in the south. As far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to a place where he made an altar at first. Now I want you to notice, I want you to notice the words here in verse 2, the words beginning and first. Okay? God leads us back till we got off track with him. He gives us new beginnings because he is the God of new beginnings. Aren't you glad of that tonight? That God is a God of new beginnings? So Abraham is restored to God, the altar is back, and his fellowship with God is back. Now look at verse 4. We see a phrase that occurs over and over again. It says, verse 4, And to the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. It says, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Now, I don't know how you would de describe prayer, but this is an excellent description of prayer, that Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. What a marvelous way to define prayer, by the way. Well, he flunked that test in Egypt, but thank, thankfully he's back in fellowship with God again. Now God is going to bring another test into his life. 
And this test is going to be very, very specific because it has to do with the land. Now, here's what happens. Look in verse 5 of Genesis 13. And it says, uh, Lot, of course, who went with Abraham also had flocks and herds and tents so the land could not uh, support both of them together for the possess- their possessions, possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the land. Now, wow, that's pretty dramatic here. There's strife. Abraham and Lot are going to split ways. They're going to part company, even though they're kin, they're family. They're going to look at things a little bit differently, and they're going to to split. You know, as I read the the Old Testament, I don't don't believe uh, the Old Testament Testament has the church in it, okay? I don't believe you can find the church in the Old Testament. But some people have looked at this passage rather humorously, okay, and conclude that this chapter represents the beginnings of the Baptist church. Okay, right here. (laughs) Splitting. That's how Baptists multiply. They split, right, and go start another church. So Body Thomas all said you had the 8th Baptist church or whatever, okay? Well, there's a story of a, of a Baptist who got washed up on an island, by the way. And he was there for 20 years with no contact with people until some people found him. And, and of course, they said, well, show us around the island. And the guy was very glad to do so. And they noticed that there were three huts over there. And so they said to him, well, what is this hut? And he said, oh, that, that's the hut. That's where I live at. That's my house. And they said, well, what's this hut? And, and the man said, well, that's where I go to church. And then they said, well, what's the third hut for? Oh, uh, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> Come on, lighten up. It's just a joke. <laughs> Some people take, uh, sometimes people just take themselves way too seriously, by the way. <laughs> but here, Abraham and Lot, Lot, they're splitting, there's strife, and they're not able to agree. And so what happens next in this text here, uh, we have some very interesting insight into human nature and into the character of these two men. So look at verse 8 of Genesis, and let's read. And we find out here that Lot actually is the one who made uh, this incredible choice. You'll notice in verse 8 it says, Then Abraham said to Lot, There will be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, For we are kinsmen. It is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. So what happens here? Abraham is actually deferring to Lot. Now, I really wouldn't expect it. I was kind of surprised by that um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, Abraham is older than Lot. He's his uncle, right? And it was because of Abraham that Lot had the blessings of many cattle and much wealth. And he, he got in on some of the blessings of Abraham and his expertise, by the way. There is one reason why we think that Abraham would choose, and then Lot would kind of take whatever's left over, because Abraham was born first, he was older, and all belonged to him anyway. But there's another reason maybe we should be surprised at how gracious Abraham was, because God gave Abraham the land, right? He gave it to Abraham. It says in chapter... 12 and verse 7, you don't need to turn there. The Lord appeared unto Abraham 
and said to your offspring, I will give this land. I will give you this land. So God gave him the title deed to the land and said, there, Abraham, the land is yours. Now, Abraham might have thought, well, since the land is mine, of course, I should take the best pastured land. I should get the dibs on it first. But notice what he says to his nephew here. You choose, Lot, you choose. You choose what you want, and I'll take what's left over. I find it kind of interesting that Abraham was able to do this because of several different reasons, because Abraham was a, a man of faith. And faith is able to handle strife. Because faith says, I don't need what I have coming to me now. Faith says, I do not have to insist upon my rights. Faith says, I believe in the invisible God and his promises. Faith means I don't have to fight for what I think I own. Faith believes in another world, and faith believes in God. So faith is able to uh, solve this strife. So Abraham defers to Lot. And we see what Lot does. Now Lot has a choice before him. And Lot chooses to defer to greed. You'll notice in verse 10 of this chapter, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zorah. That was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You say, well, you know, today the Jordan Valley may be as good, but it's not exactly the Garden of Eden. Well, evidently, before the destruction here, in those times, uh, it was very beautiful. And also the, the passage says, and like Egypt, okay? You know, Egypt along the Nile River. You see, when Lot was in Egypt with his uncle Abraham, you know, Abraham was able to, to pull himself out of Egypt. He was able to bounce back into fellowship with God and go on. Now, Lot was unable to do this, by the way. There was something in Egypt that Lot coveted. And that covetousness came out in his choice, in his choosing. So you'll notice that Lot sees the, the, uh, the wonderful pasture land and the possibility of, of, of gardens and he probably just imagines, he, he visualizes his livestock in the grass, uh, munching away, and, and you know, streams of water going by, water for his herds. And so Lot chooses for himself. I want everybody listening at this point. Now, a lot of times in messages like this, and the point I'm about ready to make, we say, well, you young people need to listen up. Well... I think middle-aged people need to listen up and older folks need to listen up too because this applies to everybody. Look at verse 11. And I think this is an excellent verse to have highlighted, an excellent phrase in this verse that you can highlight. And it says, verse 11, Lot, Lot chose for himself. Lot chose for himself. Now, in those four words you have the destruction of many a life. The tragedy of many a life can be found in those four words he chose for himself. And that's the whole story. We think of some uh, terrible, ma terrible marriages that have taken place because someone had chosen for themselves 
decided for themselves rather than consulting with God. He chose for himself. and left God out of the picture altogether. We, we think of maybe some bad business arrangements, uh, bad business ethics or whatever uh, that people have stooped to because they chose for themselves. We think of entertainment that some people get into and the addictions that come out as a result because somebody says, I'm going to choose for myself. And there, Lot experienced the law of unattended consequences. Unattended consequences. <laughs> Suppose we were to interview Lot right now. We had him up on the stage and we had a chance to ask Lot some questions. What do you think he would tell us about how he arrived at that decision, by the way? What do you think he would tell us? I, th I think he would say the first thing is, well, it's opportunity, right? What a great opportunity my uncle has given me. And, you know, furthermore, I don't feel guilty about it because he's the one who told me to choose first, right? Opportunity. The next thing Lot might would tell us is prestige and position. You know, later on, he's going to uh, be there in Sodom and he's going to have a position in Sodom. He's not going to be living in the tents any longer. He's through singing the song, This World is Not My Home, I'm Just a Passing Through. He's tired of that song. He's, he's no longer a pilgrim. He lives in the city. He's a, what you would call a, a, a city dweller or a city slicker, right? You know, nothing wrong with being a city dweller, by the way. But he was content in Sodom, and he received prestige in Sodom. But the unattended consequences were on the way. This is an interesting story. I'm going to tell you a story about a president of a large company who is going to build a, a series of buildings. And so he, he farmed it out to various bidders and various contractors, and I think you know how the process works. The contractor, he submits a bid, uh, the best bid that he can submit, and possibly the lowest cost with proof that he'll actually do the best job normally wins. And so one of the contractors was a little bit late submitting his bid. And so it was the last day. He walks in the, into the president's office, and he noticed that no one's there. The room is empty. So he thinks to himself, well, I don't know where the president's at. Uh, and so he kind of looks around on the desk, and there on the desk of all things is an open bid from his greatest competitor. And he thinks to himself, if I could just... Uh, see the number that he comes in on with this bid, and I come in with a less number, you know, I most assuredly would get this big contract and this big business. The problem was, right on that number of, uh, on the application was a can of soda pop. So he thought, he's thinking to himself, what am I going to do? And nobody's around, so he peeks out in the hallway and takes a look around, and once again, the president's nowhere to be found, and he's thinking, was should I look or shouldn't I look? You know, he had the little devil and little angel on one side of his shoulder talking to him. And so he's trying to think it out, and then he decided, well, I'm going to look. And he decided the best thing to do was just to lift the can of pop really fast and then look at it and put it down, right? He does just that. And when he picks up that soda pop can, hundreds of BBs fall out onto the table and drop onto the floor. This, you think he got the contract, by the way? 
This is the law of unintended consequences. Wouldn't you like to try to see him scramble around and pick up all those BBs, you know? But the Bible says that Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw and he chose for himself. You know, Lot, he didn't realize that entailed in that decision were some terrible, terrible consequences. And let's look at some of the consequences here for Lot. What's the first thing that happened to Lot? He lost his testimony, right? Here he is as a judge at the gate. He's being honored. And when the men surround his house, he is willing actually to give up his daughters for this terrible, terrible kind of perverted sexuality. He's willing to give up his daughters to this. And later on when he tells his son-in-laws that God is going to judge the city over in in, in, uh, chapter 19, it says they thought that he was joking that God was going to judge the city. So here in Sodom, Lot, he lost his testimony. He has no altar in Sodom and Gomorrah. He lost his testimony. He lost his family. He lost his wife who uh, was running away, looked back, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. And in the end, he lost his character. And he ends up in a cave committing incest with his two daughters. Now, do you think he knew that all this would happen before he chose for himself? I don't think so, right? But he chose for himself. Opportunity and prestige... But at what price? You know, it's kind of interesting that Lot succumbed to a very uh, respectable type of sin by the world standards, by the way. And there are some sins that are not so respectable. Uh, Sins of the flesh are generally regarded as not respectable. But sins of the spirit are often praised and they are honored. You know, they say greed is good. We read... Greed makes capitalism work, makes the world go around, and everybody's happy because of greed. Uh, You know, by by the way, nothing's wrong with covetousness. Uh, You know, if if my neighbor has something that's very nice and I want it, what's wrong with me working hard to get it? The sins of the spirit. These so-called respectable sins. Back in the days uh, of the Reformation, when Martin Luther was... uh, complaining about some of the abuses of the church, a cardinal was sent to him to buy him off. And the cardinal was told, tell Luther to shut up and in order to persuade him, offer him some money. And by the way, use gold. The cardinal wrote back to the Pope and said, the fool doesn't love gold. The fool cannot be bought off because he does not love gold. Now I wonder who the real fool was there. And it's sometimes these so-called respectable sins that cause tremendous problems in families. Families have split over inheritances. They've been split because of money. And sometimes when you wave big money in somebody's face, even a rational-minded Christian, they can become unrealistic and can become greedy and manipulative. Okay? The love of money has power. It has the power to seduce Because it kind of makes the same promises that God does. I'll be with you, money tells. I'll be with you in sickness and health. I'll be with you in the economy collapses. I'll be with you. So what we have here actually is Lot is choosing in the direction of wealth and power 
and look where he ends up at. That's the consequences of Lot's choice. He chose for himself. Well, what about some of the consequences of Abraham's choice? Okay. Now notice it says in verse 14, um, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him. Okay. Now remember back in chapter 12, in verse 1, God told Abraham, leave your family and leave your kindred, right? Now he didn't leave his dad behind. He brought his dad as, as far as the heron, and then his dad dies, and he comes into the land with Lot. Okay? Now, Lot should have not been part of the group. He should have not been part of the entourage, because what did God tell Abraham to do? Leave your family, right? But now, Lot, up to date here, moving along. Lot has gone his own way, and so God and Abraham are alone. And notice what verse 14 says about what God gave him. God says to him in verse 14, lift up your eyes. Now, isn't that what he told Lot to do? Lift up your eyes? You notice in verse 10, it says, now Lot lifted up his eyes. But now Abraham's lifting up his eyes, and both have lifted up their eyes. What's the difference? What's the big difference? The difference is... One of the men lifted up his eyes and saw what he wanted, and he took it. The other man, Abraham, lifted his eyes, and he saw what God gave him. What a difference there is between what you take and what God gives you. So Abraham, Abraham lifts up his eyes, and God says, Abraham, remember that promise I gave you when you first came into the land? I'm going to actually expand upon that promise. And the Lord says to him in verse 14, he says, lift up your eyes, look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give it to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can be counted. Arise, Walk in the land. And what does Abraham end up doing? He builds an altar. What a a different ending to this story, right? And notice how God expands his promise. He expands his promise geographically. He says, as far as you can see and as far as you can walk, the land is going to be yours. God also expands his promise numerically. He says, you can't count the dust of the earth In the very same way, no one is going to be able to count your offspring. He even expands the promise durationally. And that's the word because I looked it up, by the way. (laughs) God says, I'm going to give it to you forever. And the Greek word for that is olam, and that makes another whole excellent study sometime. Not tonight, though. But God says, I'm giving it to you as a possession. I'm going to even expand the promise experientially, okay? He's, God says, go ahead, Abraham. You walk along the length and the breadth of the land. You experience, you enjoy it. It's going to be yours. Now, Abraham is going to die without a single square foot belonging to him, except that which he purchases to bury himself, his wife, and his family. But he dies in faith. He lives with the delayed promise. Decisions. Lot's decisions, Abraham's decisions. 
Well, let's talk about our decisions. First of all, <clears throat> let me remind you of this very important point that the choice that you and I make today determines the kind of person we will be in the future. The choice that you make today determines the kind of person that you will be in the future. And how important are those choices, by the way? <clears throat> There's a guy that has a ministry, his name is Larry Poland, and he works in Hollywood with his ministry called Master Media International. And what he tries to do, he tries to befriend the Hollywood crowd, actors, producers, directors, and that type of people. And he tries to befriend them with the goal of sharing Christ with them. And he told the story of a man who was converted out of a very uh, difficult, rough lifestyle. He was very well known in Hollywood. And he was having lunch with, with uh, Larry one day, and he said, You know, Larry, I can't understand it. I accepted Christ as my Savior maybe six months ago. And he says, I tell people what Jesus Christ has done for me. And they all say, uh, you're crazy, man. You're, you're just crazy. And he said for years that he lived and went through three marriages. His kids were on drugs. He was an alcoholic. And nobody looked at him and said, hey, man, you're crazy. He was destroying his life and the lives of other people. And nobody told him he was crazy. He gets converted and comes to become a Christian, and now he's crazy, right? He says, now I'm finally loving my wife for the first time. I'm off alcohol. I'm connecting with my kids. My sins are forgiven before God, and now people are saying that I'm crazy. <clears throat> you see, the, the kind of decisions you make determine the character that you're going to be, by the way. Well, let's move on. My wife told me something very good. She said, you know, y'all would number your pages of, of, because uh, I have a bad, I just print them off and they, somebody will fall all over, the, all over the floor and when you print, and I just scoop them all up. And I, sometimes I, what is this? Where is this? This don't go here and I'm shuffling around. So I listen to her, I say, I start numbering my pages from now. So we'll, we'll back to us. But anyway, if you want to be a, a character with deceit in your life and wrong values in your life, you make those decisions. You'll either end up like Abraham following God, or you and I could end up like Lot doing our own thing and choosing for ourselves, living a life with tragic, very tragic consequences. Not just for us, but other people as well. As a matter of fact, the decision that you make today determines where you will spend eternity, by the way. Because Jesus made it very, very clear if you trust him, as your Savior, your eternity is assured. One of my favorite verses is John 3, 18. And it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believes in Christ is not guilty, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. A person does not have to do anything other than to fail to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. That's it. That's his ticket to the hell. If we neglect to receive God's free gift of salvation, if you reject what Jesus Christ wants to do for you and what he can do for you, if you reject that, then in all eternity, you'll be on your own. How long is eternity, by the way? Very, very long time. So watch your choices. Because the choice that you make today determines the kind of person that you'll be tomorrow. Another thing, when we believe God, we please God. Abraham is spoken of in the scripture, I think two times, 
as being called a friend of God. Wouldn't that be awesome to have that on your tombstone? So-and-so, a friend of God. Now, maybe most, I never thought about that, really. I never thought about a tombstone. I guess when you get a certain age, you start thinking about those kind of things. And I guess I'm just not there yet, <laughs> for whatever reason. But <clears throat> maybe we ought to be thinking about that, by the way, and making preparations for it. Imagine being called a friend of God. And this is what the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 11. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that it rewards those who diligently seek him. Without faith is what? It's impossible to please God. The reason that Abraham could say to Lot, you choose and I'll take the leftovers, is because Abraham turned his back on wealth. It wasn't that important to him, by the way. He could turn his back on prestige. He could turn his back on opportunity because he trusted God and dared not choose for himself. He allowed God to make the choice. And so he can make that choice in faith. You might be saying, well, how much faith do I really need? Well, faith, even as a grain of mustard seed, Jesus said. And even the faith that we have is really a gift of God, really a gift from God. And that's why Abraham receives no praise here at all. God even granted him the faith. And if you find within your heart tonight that God is drawing you, speaking to you, pursue it. God may be pursuing you tonight so that you may come to him in faith. And if you come to him tonight, as the words of the hymn says, just as I am, tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fighting within and fears without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Tonight, you can come with your doubts. You can come with your fears. You can come with your unanswered questions. And then having come to Christ by faith, we can all sing with authority, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, because we're going to follow him every step of the way. Think of what Abraham got when he followed God. When he went to Haram, God waited for him. When he got messed up in Egypt, God restored him. When he walked in obedience to God, God blessed him because he believed that there were some things more important than sight. Abraham had the eye of faith. And when we come in humility, but when we come in faith, we invite God to be part of all our decisions. And the most important decision you possibly could make is to transfer all your trust to Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 24 tells us, Verily, verily, when Jesus says verily, verily, that's very important, right? Truly, truly, I send you, he that hears my word and believeth on him that sent me, has everlasting life and shall not come to condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And some people may say, well, people think I'm crazy if I, if I make a decision for Christ. I say this respectfully, who cares, really? Who cares? But if we really knew how much people really think of us, we'd probably have our feelings hurt, by the way. But a decision for Jesus Christ is the most important decision you'll ever make. And then we can say with all our hearts, we follow Jesus. I want to pray.
for a moment, and I'm going to call Norman to lead us in a time of information, uh, invitation. Our Father, we, we ask in the name of Jesus, draw us all into your presence tonight, Father. Uh, those who have never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, I just pray that you'll speak to him, help them see their need, that they need a Savior, that they're sinners, and they need Christ as a Savior. I just pray that they'll draw near to you tonight, Father. And those, Father, that may be in the midst of decisions, I just pray that you'll help them not choose for themselves, Father, that uh, we may choose, uh, choose you, Father, to help us with those decisions. And those tonight, Father, that may be living in regrets and hurts and pains, Father, we just pray that you'll show yourself mightily to them, Father. We just pray that you'll comfort them and strengthen them. And, Father, um, I just pray that you'll restore us, Father, that you'll make us a transforming people that be a, a witness, a light, a shiny light in this dark world in which we live. Of course, in Christ's name we pray.